Get everything for your next project today at Menards and save big money. Keep your walls and trim protected while you paint with Scotch Blue Painter's Tape. It's designed for use on multiple surfaces and can be removed easily without leaving residue behind. Save big on Scotch Blue Painter's Tape from Menards. Also, view our weekly flyer on Menards.com and check out all of our great deals happening this week. Save big money at Menards. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code POD to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code POD at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code POD. This episode brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. discussion and interviews about the world of golf you won't hear anywhere else. Here are your hosts, Nick Heidelberger and Joe Simons. Welcome into a very special edition of At The Turn. Nick and I are going to try something a bit different. This is our first ever, I hope it's the first of a few, this is our first ever book club, Nick. Yeah, and uh, I was telling you, it's the first time I've talked about a book that I read since it was required in like 11th grade. <laughs> Yeah, I've been I've been reading this. Uh, so we're talking about Tiger Woods, the book that came out in 2018 by Jeff Benedict and Armin Katayan. Uh, they've written many sports books apart. Um, they've written one together as well about big time college football. So this came out. It's obviously an unauthorized version of the Tiger Woods story. He did not participate in this whatsoever. Um, and I guess I want to break it down in five parts and then talk about some questions that we had about the book and if they were answered after we read it. So real quick, here's how I want to go about it. So this book follows Tiger's life chronologically. It starts with his childhood and takes you all the way up into the starting point of the 2018 PGA Tour season. So that is that is the basic timeline from, from it. And within it, there are five major groups that are impacted. Uh, his family, golfers, his coaches, the media, and certainly women. That is that is touched upon. That's that's a little bit of a theme. Yes, I would have to agree with that. So I say we start with his family because the first 100 pages or so delves into his childhood, his relationship with Earl and Coltita, his parents, and the whole dynamic that pretty much touches off what we now know of Tiger Woods. I guess I'll start with this, Nick. Nothing that I read, apart from the description of Earl Woods's post-marital house, and I'll read that passage a little bit later. It's very short, but very telling. Um, nothing, nothing necessarily surprised me, I guess. It was just the degree to which everything we thought about how Tiger Woods was raised 
was sort of taken to that like nth degree. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of confirmation for what we kind of knew and assumed. I mean, you and I both are around sports all the time for for our jobs, um, so we understand that people who are elite athletes probably their parents played a major role in that, whether it's like allowing that to happen, facilitating that. So, and obviously we followed Tiger Woods in golf quite a bit. So we, we had a good idea that his parents, you know, like drove him, um, and, and, you know, facilitated what it takes to be one of the best athletes in the world, which is basically your entire life from the time you can remember revolving around one thing. Um, and and that doesn't just happen for from a kid being motivated. It takes a kid being motivated, and it takes two parents being motivated and you know willing and able to to um, you know explore that whole that that avenue. And and uh, yeah, finding out how involved Earl was that early on was was interesting. Some of the things like getting him on, getting him in front of the media when Tiger was like two and three years old, hitting golf balls on TV. Um, that was that was pretty uh, enlightening for me. I guess we should probably caveat the podcast at this point and say, I don't really know how we're going to get through this without an explicit rating on this particular <laughs> episode. Um, so I'll just come out with it. Uh, Earl Woods, I always thought was a bad dude and nothing in this story does anything to dissuade that. They do a really good job of showing you why Tiger Woods is the way he is. He idolized Earl Woods. Earl was a womanizer. Earl met Tiger's mom when he was in the midst of his first marriage and Coltita was the result of infidelity. And that was a theme all throughout the Woods's life. Like Earl constantly was with other women. This got to a much higher degree after their marriage. I mean, I think they were still married legally when Earl died, but they had like, you know, a pretty strong separation. Um, but you can very clearly see why Tiger turned out the way he did. It's not excusing his behavior, but you can see why it happened this way. He was incredibly insulated. When he was a young kid, he wasn't allowed to, you know, have normal recess because they were worried that it was going to interfere with any sort of golf instruction. Uh, he wasn't allowed to have kids. They talk about a very heart-wrenching story about Tiger Woods' high school girlfriend. And when Tiger Woods played as an amateur, I think he was, I don't know, 16. And he played at the Los Angeles Open, a PGA Tour event. And Tiger Woods' girlfriend was basically the only person that he could talk to, really, aside from his parents. And she was a sounding board for him. They had a very normal, well-adjusted relationship. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, this is great. Tiger has a real girlfriend. This is phenomenal. At that tournament, the Los Angeles Open, Tiger's parents are there. The girlfriend is there. The girlfriend thinks she's having a very normal experience. The parents all of a sudden freeze her out. And then come to find out, Earl and Coltita told Tiger that the girlfriend was out there flaunting herself, saying I'm Tiger Woods' girlfriend. She, of course, denies that. And Tiger leaves her, I believe, a handwritten note at the hotel they were all staying at saying, never contact me again. And that was the last time they ever spoke. Yeah, that was... <laughs> I, I didn't know what to make of that whole story. I mean, the, when I first started reading about, about his relationship with this woman, um, the thing that struck me the most was that she was so surprised when she found out that he was like this world-class athlete at such a young age. Like Tiger Woods was so reserved in high school. Like when you say like, oh, nobody knew who he was. Nobody knew he was good at stuff. Like he, he kept to himself and he was shy and he just did golf in his free time. Like 
she came over to his house for a study group or something like that and was like what are all these trophies and he's like oh yeah i play golf <laughs> it's something he didn't even want to talk about because right. he finally had someone who he could not discuss golf with yeah I, I, so like Oh, when I'm watching college football and I hear those stories about like this guy was so he's so humble, I'm like, that's a lie. I mean, give me a break. You know how humble can you really be? So when you hear that about Tiger, I, I kind of had the same thing. But then to read these in-depth stories about like they literally had no idea that he was this prodigy just amongst them. Like he blended into the crowd, and people in his high school didn't even know who he was. That that's pretty surprising to me. That, that I think that's pretty telling. So. Earl and Coltina were obviously a big presence in Tiger's early PGA Tour life. Excuse me. But that kind of went away a little bit um, once you get past the 97 Masters when Tiger starts to pick his own people. You know, a lot of his inner circle were adults and people that Earl handpicked for him. And there's a lot of inferences to potential scandal uh, involving, you know, how much money Earl was paid and what he was actually doing and the retainer that IMG, the big sports agency, was putting him on. So there's all kinds of shady stuff going on throughout Tiger's childhood, Earl obviously at the helm. But you fast forward a few years later to about 2000, 2001, Tiger and Earl's relationship really starts breaking down because Earl and Coltita live in separate houses at this point. So Earl is sort of flaunting um, his, I don't know, creepy lifestyle because at that point he's in his late 60s early 70s and he's still surrounded by very young women and he's having sex with a lot of them the book doesn't like do anything to say that he's not doing that and i have to read this so this is from the book by 2000 earl had largely stopped showing up at tour events and the scene at tiger's childhood home had gotten out of hand women came and went pornography played steadily on the television sex toys were stuffed in drawers and sexual favors were performed at Earl's request. Quote, it was a house of horrors, recalled a former employee. Every drawer, every cabinet. It's not good. It, it, it's so, it's so gross. It's crazy. It's, yeah. It, man, I just feel honest. I don't know. I don't know. Reading that, like you have to have this reality check moment, like, I, I feel bad for Tiger Woods that this is being written about his dad and people are like, everybody is reading this and it just is uncomfortable. But I mean, if it's the truth and people are saying this who are in the house, that that's what happened, you know, I don't know. It's just so dirty. Yeah. The family atmosphere obviously was toxic. It was the three of them totally on their own and it led to Tiger Woods being what he is, great golfer, maybe not a great guy, at least during the majority of this book. Uh, that's what I have on his family. Do you want to switch to his relationship with fellow golfers? Do you have anything else? I, I have one more thing on the family. So the book started off um, like with a passage with, with about like how Tiger Woods' dad's gravesite doesn't have his name on it, and they they I felt like the authors really tried to put that on Tiger Woods, like saying that he doesn't care about his dad because his dad's grave, Earl's grave does not have his name on it. And that's just the kind of guy that Tiger is. And we're going to, we're going to tell you all about these other things that he does to show that he doesn't care about people. And that really set me off the wrong way because I felt like number one, if it's your dad's gravesite, you can do whatever you want with it and you shouldn't be judged by that. Number two, if you're arguably the most famous worldwide athlete of all time and you 
you want your father's gravesite to have some anonymity. I think that's more than justified. And I'm sure when Tiger wants to visit Earl's gravesite, he can he knows where to find it. And if he doesn't want the rest of the world visiting it, that's perfectly fine. So so that just kind of kind of pushed my buttons the wrong way that like, that these authors were trying had had some sort of motive to paint Tiger in a certain way. And and then when I read all these other stories about Tiger that paint him in an unflattering way, they sound very true and I I believe them. But then it just kind of makes me wonder, is there a different perspective that we're not getting? I don't know if you had any reaction to that, but I just felt like, w- wouldn't you want your father's gravesite to have some anonymity? Like, isn't that a, a decision you could have? And, and to kind of trash Tiger for that in the first chapter of the book kind of put me, just kind of gave me some um, some speculation that, that they were trying to um, paint him in a negative light. Well, a couple thoughts on that. Um, I think later on in the book, they do talk about Graves, or rather Earl's gravesite again. And I got the impression, because you're right, when the book started and it was postured that way, I thought they were also taking uh, creative liberties by determining why this was done this way. I thought Coltita did it as a big F you to Earl Woods after he died, because I think she was still in charge of what was happening um, from a legal perspective, and it was ultimately her decision to do so. So I interpreted it because they hit on it late in the book um, that Coltita said, you know what, this guy was the worst and this is the last little bit of revenge I'm gonna get on. I'm sure we'll, 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 we'll bury him, but no one's gonna know about it. So that's on the, uh, the gravesite thing. But I guess to your bigger point, the authors I think do a good job throughout most of the book with not taking, lack of a better term, creative liberties by showing you A and B and then explaining for the reader C. Now they do do it a few times where they basically say, here's what happened and here's what Tiger was probably feeling at the time. It didn't happen a lot, but there was about a half dozen times where I was like, "Uh, I don't really know if that's exactly what was happening. Yeah, no, I agree. Like I I didn't feel like any other times they were being unfair to him. I just felt that I was already skeptical and so I, you know what I mean? It just kind of to yeah. open the book that way and to kind of allude to the fact that, that like Tiger doesn't even care enough about other people to put his father's name on his gravesite. When, when like my first reaction is like that, that's clearly not the reason. Right. Um, you know, that just kind of set me off the wrong way a little bit, but so, I, mean, I, I never felt that reading the rest of the book, I never felt like they were lying or misleading. I just felt like, I was constantly second guessing if there if there's a, a different way I should be looking at what they're saying. So this might be a good opportunity before we get to Tiger's relationships with fellow golfers to talk about the extensive notes section in the back of the book. Yeah, um, that, <laughs> that I read a, the whole thing. Did you? <laughs> I yes, I did. I mean, there there are literally forty pages of notes in the back of the book because, and I didn't check earlier on, but there was certainly a point where I was like, oh. How do they know what Tiger said? How do they know about this situation so well? And eventually I flipped the back and there are a litany of notes explaining every single citation, every single source for every claim that they make. And I thought it was very effective and it made me trust the authors as I was reading it. Yeah, definitely. They, they cite their sources. They're, they're not making anything up. They're not just putting stuff in a book that just, just to sell copies. I mean, they they're clearly have sources. They clearly are, are putting things in there that they can, that they can back up. And I, and I, really do believe they wouldn't put anything in there if they couldn't back it up. So 
number one, talking about golfers, I'm so happy to hear that Tiger Woods hates Phil Mickelson. That that makes me sleep better at night. I I love it. Tiger, if, if this is of course through the prism of the authors, but Tiger, according to the book, just views Phil as like a dirtbag, someone who is disingenuous, phony, not very good at golf. But it did also point out that Tiger did view Phil as his number one adversary and rival. Like he didn't view Ernie Els or Vijay Singh, anyone else who was of that caliber from that time period, that 2000 to 2006, he viewed Phil as the number one guy. But Nick, it makes me so happy that Tiger hates Phil. <laughs> the rivalry is real. <laughs> um, the one story that I want to get to, I guess overarching, Tiger is a dirtbag. The PGA Tour did not like him until you get to 2016 and Tiger has like come out of sex addiction therapy and has been off the tour for a few years. Um, his experience with the Ryder Cup, or excuse me, President's Cup, when he was invited to be a vice captain, that was really the first time where it seemed like the PGA Tour accepted him. But the first story I want to get to is from his third U.S. amateur, because that story really hit home to me for a couple of reasons. First of all, because of what a, uh, what a jerk Tiger was when he was a kid. But also, <laughs> that was my first experience with Tiger. That was the first time I actually remember watching Tiger Woods in a golf tournament. It was the 1996 U.S. amateur. He was going for three in a row. And I don't know if they still do it, but at that time, the final of the U.S. Amateur was 36 holes. So you played 18 in the morning, 18 in the afternoon. After the morning 18, Tiger was down five holes to this, you know, guy from Florida who's a pretty decent golfer, but he's not Tiger Woods. And his girlfriend's in the bag. It's becoming like a big story. So it's like, you know, the girlfriend, the golfer from Florida, they're like this team against this unstoppable machine. So Tiger cut, you know, Tiger obviously wins, but Tiger cuts the lead. I think there's two holes left to play. Tiger marks his ball, moves his mark. The competitor puts in. Tiger is about to replace his ball without moving the mark back. And his competitor says, hey, Tiger, you want to move your ball back? Did you remember to move back? He did not. Tiger moves his mark back, makes the putt. They have the hole. Tiger doesn't even say thank you, doesn't acknowledge him in any way. If Tiger doesn't put his ball mark down, he loses the U.S. Amateur. It was a great show of sportsmanship, and Tiger didn't even say anything to this guy. This is why, Joe, when we're talking about Tiger as a cold-blooded killer, it just he he was raised with nothing but to win. Like you don't care about anybody or anything but winning. And this was the story in my mind that painted that picture the most. Like you have no ounce of humanity. You are only on this planet to win golf tournaments and for no other reason. Like that's the only way to, <laughs> to take that story. Right. Yeah. And it, it actually turned out to be a nice anecdote because the guy who ended up losing the tiger, he didn't amount to anything as a professional golfer, but he is married to that caddy. They have kids. They view that as like, you know, the moment that sort of like propelled them into a lifelong of happiness together. And it's just ironic the way they put it in the book. Cause it's the moment where they totally diverged. Right. This young guy, unknown, lives a totally happy, serene life in Florida. Tiger goes off to be the greatest golfer ever, but is miserable through most of that experience. So I thought it was a good story. Um, as Tiger is turning pro, he was told to avoid two people by, I believe, his agent, Mark Steinberg. Mark Steinberg, quietly, dark horse MVP of this book. Holy Ab cow. Absolutely. Absolutely, Mark Steinberg is... Uh, I, I, I might have... 
I have a better appreciation for Mark Steinberg than Tiger Woods after reading this book. Oh my gosh, yeah. So Mark Steinberg, uh, I believe, is Tiger's only agent in his professional career. He was with him at IMG. Uh, IMG let Steinberg go, I think, at the early part of this decade. Broke off to his own shop. Tiger followed him over there. Um, and the book made it seem like it was basically Tiger's sole client, but Steinberg. I mean, wouldn't that be an awesome job? Like your only yeah. job is to be Tiger's agent. I mean, if you're Tiger's agent, you probably don't want to have any other responsibilities. You need to focus solely on anything that Tiger Woods wants and needs at any given moment. And as the book points out many times, if you were in Tiger's inner circle and you were not available at his beck and call, you are gone. And we'll get to the coaches in a second because that stuff is wild. And the caddies too. <laughs> the caddies <laughs> is great. Um, but fellow golfers, getting back to the original point, Mark Steinberg, obviously, been in the business a long time. He said, avoid two people. Greg Norman, who was the number one golfer in the world, and they describe Greg Norman as like, basically, once he gets his hooks into people, tough to get him out, and he's just like kind of a sleazeball, basically. He said, also involve, avoid Michael Jordan. Stay away <laughs> from MJ. And Tiger did not, he, he listed on Greg Norman and not about MJ. And, you know, they build it up as if there's going to be a lot of big MJ stories. My takeaway from that is, MJ's cheap, not a very good guy, uh, and he kind of, you know, showed Tiger the way, and that's the way Tiger kind of grew up and became. Yeah, I, th I think Earl had way more to do than that to do with Agreed. that than MJ did. I think MJ just kind of uh, reinforced that that behavior. Yeah, um, there wasn't too much surprising about fellow golfers. Um, you know, his the closeness of his relationship to Mark O'Mara. They. That's something that was talked about in the media early in Tiger's career, that they were such good buddies. And I was, you know, in my early 20s following golf at that point. I never really understood why they were good buddies. And the book did a really good job of explaining the closeness of their relationship. The O'Mara family. So Mark O'Mara, uh, pretty good golfer, Hall of Famer. I think he won like 16 times, a couple majors. Tiger took a shine to him very early on in his golfing career. And basically, it makes a lot of sense. The O'Maras have a very idyllic family. You know. Beautiful trophy wife, two small kids, picture of happiness. And Tiger would go over to their house like all the time and just like chill with the kids as if he was like the older brother and had a very like mother-daughter relationship with I, I can't remember his his wife's name, maybe Tracy O'Mara. Um, but I just thought it was really interesting understanding why Tiger would want to be buddies with a guy twice his age. Yeah, he definitely he definitely seemed like like a role model like a, like a i don't know i don't want to say father figure but just somebody to keep him balanced to give him that family atmosphere to give him those values where like like you said tiger would go over there to the house for dinner all the time and and just have some sort of reality because because i don't think tiger's life was ever real you know it was he was never raised like he never got to do anything that the regular kids got to do he he was always raised with this one single focus so he gets to the tour and three doors down is mark o'mara and, and it sounded from the book that mark o'mara and his family just had this very regular life and he just happened to be a professional golfer and so tiger kind of go over there and see what it was like to have a regular life and that's what i got out of it um and what about the the, the hall of fame dinner induction story yeah so Tiger and O'Mara's relationship became very strained after the divorce. So when the sex scandal came out, a lot of people in Tiger's inner circle tried to reach out to him, but it was difficult for him to communicate with them. So, I mean, Tiger 
when faced with confrontation, basically shuts down. He just cuts people off. He ignores them. And that's what he did with Marco Mera, as close as they were for a decade plus when Tiger started on tour. Once the scandal came out, Omera was sort of removed um, from his life in the inner circle. So Marco Omera, what was it, in uh, like 2016, 2015? Not that long ago. Was inducted into the World Golf Hall of Fame overseas at the British Open. Tiger was at the British Open. It's not like he had to fly to Scotland specifically for this. Omera asked him to be there, and Tiger Woods just no-showed. Didn't make a call, didn't text. That's a theme throughout. Tiger just not showing up to stuff and just pissing people off around him. Yeah, that that was one I really could not wrap my head around. Because it's like, like you said, he's there. And it wasn't like it was the day before the British Open started and he had an early tee time. Like, he, you know, it was going to compromise his you know, ability to play in the tournament. I think it was at least two, I think it was maybe Tuesday or Monday of the, of that week. So you had a couple of days of buffer time. There was really no excuse you could make, you know, from the outsider looking in, like why you wouldn't go unless you're just trying to be a dick and just saying, no, I'm not going. And which, which that was, that's probably one of the most disappointing things I've read about Tiger in this whole book. There's a lot of disappointing things about Tiger in this book. There's a lot, there are a lot, but I mean, you got to be loyal. I mean, like if that's a guy who took you into his home, he, he tried to teach you how to be an adult, and he did everything for you for, like you said, a decade. Um, he let you, you know, into his family essentially, and you can't even show up for arguably one of the most important moments of his of his adult life after after being married and having kids. You know, he's going into the golf, the World Golf Hall of Fame. And you're there. Like you said, you're there. That's so, that's disappointing. <laughs> I mean, besides Omera, there's not a lot of stories about Tiger and tour pros other than seeds of jealousy because he just kept to himself. Um, I did like that. And I was a little surprised that him and David Duvall were good buddies when they were both battling for that number one spot. Um, I, I, I was glad to see that because David Duvall, I think, was portrayed uh, sort of coldly by the media. And I think he was just a chill dude who didn't really have much to say. And now he's a great golf analyst. So I was very happy to hear that David Duvall was an influence in Tiger's life at that point. But do you have anything else on uh, on golfers? That's that's basically all I got. No, yeah, that, that covers it. All right, so coaches and caddies. This is going to be a fun one. So uh, Butch Harbour was Tiger's first coach when he, I think, uh, if not mistaken, Earl and Butch hooked up super early like when tiger was high school age and butch started looking at a swing and butch was the coach i think through 99 maybe close to 2000 maybe a little bit longer than that he was he, he was a camp tiger for a while and it was a good relationship um through most of that but as like most people in tiger's life when you are not the sole focus or when you don't make yourself available to tiger a hundred percent of the time he starts to view you as dispensable and that's eventually what happened with Butch Harmon. Like there wasn't like this giant dramatic blow up thing. It was Tiger was frustrated with his game. Um, he had already rebuilt his swing once, which Butch Harmon didn't really understand. But that first swing rebuild, Tiger proved to be right. Um, in subsequent ones, he was not. And I think that's ultimately what led to the split. Tiger put together some of the most incredible seasons in golf history after rebuilding his initial swing. And he wanted to rebuild his swing again. And Butch described it as Tiger being such a perfectionist that he's not just happy winning 11 tournaments a year. He has to continue to work 
towards something. So they did a nice job of touching on the unhealthy aspect of Tiger being the best ever. Yeah, I, I feel like Tiger's blessing is his curse in a certain way where you're never you're never satisfied and, and that's what got him to where he is, but also that's what got him to when he was winning majors, still wanted to change his swing and nobody could understand why. And and Tiger thought it can still be better. No matter what, he always thought it can still be better. And just constantly searching for that is, is what you know, a lot of the things that happened in his life. You know, he did the same thing later on with Hank Haney. He did the same thing with with like the the Navy, the the military workouts and things like that. Like he just which we'll touch on. Um but he just never is satisfied, which like I said, it it it's his blessing. It's what drove him to constantly work and, and become the best in the world, but also might have worked to his detriment when he's rebuilding a swing that is that nobody on the world is even close to replicating. Yeah, so he had the fallout with Butch, his first caddy, Fluff Cowan. That basically ended, I think, because Tiger did not like the amount of celebrity that his caddy was receiving. Um, and also, they did a, I think Golf Digest or something, did an article where they interviewed a bunch of caddies, and they asked each of them, not expecting an answer, how much does your guy pay you? And Fluff answered the question with specifics, and Tiger did not like it and canned him pretty much right after that. Then he brings Steve Williams into the fold. They're together for over a decade. It's so funny that, that he brings Steve Williams in. I mean, in hindsight, because the, the previous guy w was too much in the spotlight. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah, Steve Williams was almost as famous as Tiger. I mean, Steve Williams made $12 million in 11 years with Tiger Woods. That's, that's success, man. Um, but, you know, Steve Williams was a big figure in New Zealand because he was Tiger Woods' caddy. Uh, and when all the infidelity stuff came out, Steve was very upset because Tiger did nothing to basically rebuke a story of a woman in a tabloid saying that she met Tiger and Steve Williams at one of the seedy Las Vegas locations and basically hung out Steve to dry. Um, Haney, it wasn't anything as that dramatic, but he also shut Hank Haney out when it got to a point uh, where the infidelity had just overwhelmed him. So basically, him. Shutting people out led to them ultimately leaving him because he just couldn't take it anymore. Yeah, and, and I also think it's important to note that all the people in in this inner circle at this time, because right now it's Tiger, it's Hank Haney, it's Steve Williams, and Mark Steinberg, who stays in the inner circle, but they are massive egos. And I, I don't think anybody more, I mean, Steve Williams and Hank Haney, I think the most, because those guys, like when Hank Haney's like, well, I, I'm going to send this text. It's almost like, like a high school boyfriend and girlfriend, like I'm going to send this text. And if she doesn't respond in an hour, it's over. You know what I mean? And there's no real rhyme or reason behind it other than your ego and your own pride. And I feel like Haney stuck to that more than anybody else. But, um, you know, that's what, that's what happens when you get this Tiger Woods inner circle. Um, everybody's kind of in that mindset, but none more than Tiger. And he's the one calling the shots. Well, the thing is when you have so much success, you can justify everything, right? Like you can justify Tiger not being a good dude or Steve Williams throwing cameras or Tiger not acknowledging fans. You're allowed to get away with a lot of stuff as long as you perform. And that's pretty much the story of Tiger Woods' life. The infidelity came and then the infidelity came out and then basically it all crumbled until Tiger rebuilt himself. Um, Tiger's dealings with the media. 
uh, it's, you know, look, it's, it's dealing with the media. So I think we have a pretty good idea of what it's like. But there was one story in particular that got to me, the Jimmy Roberts stuff. Do you recall that? I, I, I'm pretty sure I Googled like all these stories that they were talking about. I went and Googled. I'm, I had my phone, my book, and my beer, and I'm just sitting there like enjoying all three equally. So it would talk about <laughs> a story and it would be like this interview he did in the second round of the whatever tournament in 1999 with Jimmy Roberts was, was a, pivotal moment and i'd be like oh my god i have to google this and i'd look it up but that was the, the like all the women i was able to find everything like the commercials the nike stuff i was able to find but the the interviews the specific like dramatic interviews where he would lash out or whatever there was like a you know w whatever that was happening those are the ones i couldn't find so I i'm sure you were kind of in tune to this as it was happening yeah it is it's interesting to read stories about Tiger dealing with the media because everything that you see of Tiger, I mean, maybe maybe take the last couple years out of this, but before that, I never thought Tiger Woods was a good guy. Like, I never watched Tiger Woods at any point in the first, you know, 20 years of his career and thought, oh yeah, Tiger's a good dude, or like, Tiger is, is kind or probably fun to be around. So... I wasn't surprised to see any of his dealings with the media, but there were situations in which he didn't need to act a certain way because it wasn't going to help his career or make him look a certain light. Tiger, first of all, in dealing with the media, very concerned about how he is portrayed. And you better not speak out of turn because you will be gone. I mean, Fluff was gone very quick. Uh, he had a terrible relationship, at least for a while, with John Feinstein, the uh, the famous golf golf author. Um, but they had a really good anecdote about like a, a dinner they had in San Diego. But the Jimmy Roberts thing, I'm bouncing around, the Jimmy Roberts thing. It was someone that Tiger seemed to really respect and he considered a friend at a certain point. And then he asked Tiger, uh, you know, a a little more difficult than a softball question, but nothing out of line. The specific anecdote is escaping me, but it was it was within the normal realm of a reporter and golfer interview. And for some reason, that immediately made Jimmy Roberts dead to Tiger. Like, if you do one wrong thing to Tiger, you are dead to him for life. Well, that's the power that Tiger has because he doesn't he doesn't need you there's nobody on this planet that tiger needs more than they need him right true so so tiger has all the power so if if he doesn't like you or if he decides for no reason or for any reason that he chooses that he doesn't want you and he doesn't want to you know help you out anymore he doesn't have to do that and that's the way he lived his life it is and and that played into everything he wanted because that way then he has all the control he can control what the media is saying about him to a certain extent he he can control you know this and that because he holds all the cards because because anybody to, to tiger woods everybody is replaceable and not the other way around um you want to get to the women yeah <laughs> let's let's give the fans what they want okay so I guess before we get to all the nasty stuff, seemingly Tiger had uh, three healthy relationships in his life. His high school girlfriend, his girlfriend uh, post-college, 
who seemed like a great influence. She was around for, I think, three, four years. They had a good relationship. And then it just kind of ended because she didn't want to be, uh, you know, the girlfriend of Tiger Woods, which is a huge responsibility. Uh, and then and then Elon. I would I would argue there was a fourth. Lindsey Vaughn? No, actually, no, that's a good point. Fifth. Um, the, gosh, I wish I knew her name. One of the women in the affair whose oh, boyfriend, fiance died in the 9-11 attacks. It sounded like from the book that they actually really connected and, and might, you know, under different circumstances may have been like had had a legitimate connection, but clearly he was married and it was an affair and it was a scandal and he was Tiger Woods and you know it was never it was never going to work out. But it actually felt like compared to the Perkins waitress and like you know the hot girl from the bar that this woman. I, you, do you remember her name? You probably do. I think it's Rachel Yucatel. That's that's the one. That's the one that she kind of stood out to me. Where it was like um, this one out of all of these other women was kind of stood out as a little bit more meaningful, a little bit more of a connection. Yeah, I would agree with that. They, it, it does seem like it was more than just weird sex with Tiger Woods. Right, like of all the women he could justify and say it was a sex edition, it was a sex edition. Rachel was more like, no, that there was something more there. So Tiger has the healthy relationships, uh, a couple of them, marries Elon, and then the infidelity just starts like absolutely crazy. And, you know, he would use high-end escort services um, and do that sort of thing. He'd go to Vegas. But then he started to get more emboldened with his infidelity. He started bringing women back to his house. Um, he had sex with a 21-year-old neighbor. The book points out this is a girl he had known since he was 14 years old, which is super creepy. Um, and it's like, they talk about sex addiction in this book, and I think they do it in a, in a constructive way. Because they're saying that Tiger Woods is a sex addict because it's not as though he was satiating some sort of need like in his life for love or to fill an emptiness like with one specific person. He was going about this in the most like disgusting and like humiliating ways for these women. I mean, some of the texts that are in this book, um, the Perkins waitress, I know that became a punchline, but that one in particular stood out because the Perkins waitress gets off the shift. They don't make it to the house. They're in the driveway. Tiger rips her pants down and starts having his way with her. Like, what? Yeah, that's the one for me because that was, I think that was early on in the this kind of women's section of the book. And I'm reading this and I'm starting to put it together. Like this isn't like necessarily an attraction that you just can't resist. It's not, it's not anything other than this to me kind of justified like a sex addiction. Cause like, there's no logic to it other than just kind of some sort of drive. Like, have you seen the, the TV series Dexter where he just like has to kill people because like, it's how he was raised in his blood. He kills people. Like that was kind of to me, like my takeaway, like, he really can't control this because why else would you be going to eat with Elon, who's like this Swedish supermodel and your wife and on the way home, you're, you're just thinking of a way that you can like get the waitress in the, in your backseat of your Cadillac in your driveway. Yeah. Um, the Perkins waitress, that story specifically, um, the national Enquirer got onto tiger first 
snapped photos of this incident, but the photos were too grainy to basically say, yes, it's 100% Tiger Woods. Old Steinberg, I mean, look, if you folks, if you're in need of a high-powered agent, call Mark Steinberg, because he saved Tiger so much. In 2007, Tiger is caught. He's caught by the National Enquirer. They said, we're going to run this story. It's a whole year before the rest of the world knows. Two years. A whole two years. And they catch him. The Enquirer says, we're going to run this story. Steinberg calls him up and says, I've got an idea for you. <laughs> Doesn't your, your parent company also own Men's Fitness? Tell you what. We'll give you Tiger. He'll do a 12-page photo spread and give all of his workout secrets and men's fitness if you bury this story. And they did it! Of course they, they did. did. It's of unbelievable. Did. Joe, this is such a great, it's a great move by Mark, but it's a better move by the Inquirer because the Inquirer knows. Right? All they have to do is bury the story that they have. But if they already know what he's doing, they know they're going to get that story again later. So all they're doing, they're they're getting him for men's fitness, and then later they're getting him for the Inquirer. It, it's almost even more of a brilliant move by the Inquirer. Yeah, it was. Um, unless you unless unless you're Mark and you're like Tiger, look, you, you have to be done, a hundred percent done. Unless you think that's really going to happen, of course they're going to get that story again later. And I guess for for myself to put a capper on on the women stuff. Um, all of the people pretty much had the same sentiment. Tiger Woods is not a ladies' man. And it's like, well, how could no one know? How could no one know? Because Tiger Woods didn't talk to women in a normal way. You wouldn't see him, like, flirting with a pretty college student and be like, oh, Tiger's at it again. No, Tiger is a big, huge dork. And if he wasn't the most famous athlete in the world, he wouldn't have access to all these women and have the power over them that he did. So no one knew because... First of all, Tiger has all the means to cover up everything that he wanted to. And secondly, he's not doing anything to make you think he's suave or cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's so true. Um, Nick, you had you wanted to go over some uh some questions you had. Yeah, so so some some book club questions. Like I said, Joe, I haven't done book club since Oh, know, we're figuring it out. High school. We're figuring it out. I, th I think it's going pretty well. Me too. Um, so I was talking to my wife, and I was like, what do you do for a book club? And she's like, hey, you just <laughs> you ask questions. And so like, I, I found this Google list of like the questions you ask at a book club. And <laughs> there, there, was, there was 40 um, questions, and only four of them possibly related to this book. So okay. <laughs> um, here we go. What's the most interesting thing that you learned from this book? So there's a lot of really negative stuff about Tiger, but we'd be doing a disservice if we didn't say there was like some incredible stuff. I mean, he's the most, I think, impressive athlete of all time. So probably his most famous commercial, in my opinion, is when the very first time they air Tiger bouncing the ball off his club, between his legs, flipping it up, and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, and I'm sure most people thought, that that commercial... The idea for that commercial was that commercial. The actual commercial they were there to shoot was something completely different. And Tiger's just kind of, you know, killing time and just bouncing the ball. And the director of the commercial, who's like Doug Lyman, who's the director of The Born Identity and Edge of Tomorrow, the Tom Cruise movie. So not exactly a lightweight. <laughs> because 
he kind of challenges Tiger and, and you know gets to his ego and says something like, "Hey, uh, do that again on film if you can." And so Tiger does it again, does more elaborate tricks with it, and then smacks a wedge. I think it was on like the first or second take. So I think it was first take. Was it first take? Yeah. So what's so cool about a lot of the anecdotes in this book is you see a lot of end results, but the story that gets you there is also very interesting as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, for me, I, I think I've touched on the most interesting things. I mean, I think that um, that U.S. amateur story when he when he didn't even thank the when the guy told him you know to move his mark and you know gave him basically let him win the tournament. Um, you know, and Tiger didn't even acknowledge it, just just stone cold. And um, as much as that's a negative, I feel like that's what we all want to like about Tiger because nobody else is is going to be that inhuman. You know, like, nobody else is that cold. But like, that's why we all have Tiger to look up to. Just this, just this cold blooded killer who just is on this planet for for one reason. And so. I thought that was interesting as much as like, it's easy to hate, you know, but, but I think that just kind of tells you that that's how he was trained. Like Tiger wasn't raised. He was trained. Uh, so that was kind of my takeaway from that. Yeah. I'm with you there. Um, what, what else does the Google book club question say? The Google book club question number two, does this book change your perception of Tiger Woods at all? No, no, not at all. Um, the stories are fun to read. I highly recommend everyone who even has a marginal interest in Tiger Woods or golf read this book because it's it's, it's very interesting. But no, this is exactly who I thought Tiger was, Tiger is. Um, no, not not even a little bit. I always thought Tiger was a dirtbag even when I was younger, and he was more of a dirtbag than I thought. And no, this is this is what I expect. You? Yeah, I don't really? know. I don't know. It's it's tough because in my mind, I've always tried. I've always wanted to defend Tiger. You know, I, I, if you've listened to this podcast, you know we freaking love Tiger. Like we we want him to win every tournament. We 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 talk about him even when he hasn't been playing for a year. Um, you know, so clearly we're like Tiger Woods number one fan club. So this does a lot to you know this kind of gives us a lot to kind of have to justify if we're gonna you know be be his fan club so um i gotta push back tough. in that a little bit i'm sorry I, I gotta push back in that a little bit okay yeah so you want to take what you read into this book and have that influence how you feel about tiger woods on the golf course no, I don't. I, I don't at all. I mean, I I I still want him. I still hope he wins five more majors and you know everything. I, I hope everything, but I don't know. It's just harder to justify being <laughs> being that much of a fangirl for him. Well, I guess one aspect you could say about this whole thing is it's kind of a redemption story. You know, you see Tiger Woods on the golf course and he doesn't ignore people anymore. He does seem more gracious. He smiles. He doesn't throw clubs or, you know, swear like all the time. Um, so you could say, okay, I'm rooting for this version of Tiger now because I wasn't totally sure before yeah. about it. I think for me, like, I feel like Tiger Woods, more than he is a person, he's an experiment. Like he, he is what you could be if your entire life revolved around one thing. And, 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 
not to t- not to say he's not a person because because he is a person but nobody else on this planet was raised this way nobody else on this planet had this kind of life like he he was trained everything he's done in my perspective is training is training to do nothing but win golf tournaments like i don't think for until the whole scandal came out until recently to all the back surgeries he's had another care in the world other than is this going to help me win the next golf tournament I'm going to compete in? Is it going to help me win more majors? And if the answer is no, he's not going to do it. And so I don't think anybody else, even the best golfers in the world, like Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth and Dustin Johnson, they they are more well-rounded people. Like the best golfers of today are like complete people. But I don't. I think Tiger Woods was more of an experiment of like, okay, if from the time this kid is six months old, the only thing that's important in his entire life is winning golf tournaments. Like how good can he be? And so to me, I just look at it as a bit of an experiment. I know that's kind of not a, not a nice way to put that, but no, just change. Yeah. No, I, I, I think you're right about that. Uh, that was, that was a very uh, good way to put it. Um, do we have any more book club questions? Um, we talk about the research of the authors. I think we already answered that. The yeah. authors, clearly, they did all their research. They did all their homework. Uh, they, they did a really good job, for sure. Um, the last question is, uh, is there anything you hope to learn from this book that you didn't? Hmm. No, I don't, I, don't, I don't really have a lot of unanswered questions after this book. Um, as I was reading it, it's, it's about 400 pages. I did think to myself, I could read like 2,000 more pages on this book. Like, I have to admit, I read the first 100 pages, put it down for a few months, picked it back up a few days ago, and I blew through it. Like, I I could not put it down. Um, If there was more, great, but I wasn't left wanting anything more. It pretty much exhausted most of everything. Right. You're you're right. Um, For me... I was not following golf in the early 2000s. Um, and so I think they did a really good job of covering his amateur career, like competitively speaking, his amateur career, his, you know, the first few majors. But then I felt like, in just out of necessity, they kind of blew through a lot of the other wins and in, in majors and things like that, um, just to save room for the rest of the stuff. Because like you said, it's 400 pages. And if you detail all of his wins and all of his majors, like, that book is going to be 2000 pages. But for me, who wasn't really in tune to golf when he was doing all this, I was aware of who he was and obviously, you know, knew what was going on, but I wasn't watching golf more than anything else. Um, I, I think a book about just all of his wins and his more of his golf career progression um, would also be interesting, but I don't think there's room for it in this book. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's funny. I almost thought the opposite because I've been a, a junkie, you know, pretty much since the start of Tiger's career. And I sort of appreciated that they glossed over some of the more innocuous major championships that Tiger won. Like they talk about the 2000 PGA, which is probably the most exciting championship that he won from a competitiveness standpoint, competitiveness standpoint. Um, but they did, you know, gloss over a lot. Like the 2002 US Open with him and Philip Bethpage Black. I mean, that was a big deal. The fans were pulling hard for Phil, not for Tiger. They touch on that. But in a book about Tiger Woods' life, you know, it covered maybe half a page when that could be a whole chapter that major. So uh, I totally get your point, but I also agree with why you think it happened because there's just no room for it. Right. I mean, that guy who's won 
80 PGA tournaments, um, you know, you're writing a book about his life and there's so much else to touch on. It's just not possible. So yeah, I think they did a good job. Um, this was a good read and I'm really glad we did this. Hopefully we'll find another book in 2019 that we can, that we can do the same thing for. Yeah. Highly recommended to everybody out there. Uh, well, that'll do it for this episode of at the turn, the Tiger Woods book club. Do want to tell you folks, we do have a new promo code. Nick, can we talk about this? Is it safe? I assume so, Joe. Let's I do it. I guess I am. It's promo code ATT. No more promo code turn. Reddit got a hold of it and it's a big old mess. Promo <laughs> code ATT and get free shipping anywhere in the United States. It is Vice Golf. I'm loaded up for 2019, basically almost the next decade. I got 20 boxes of balls in my garage now. Got a new Vice backpack, all the beanies ready for winter golf. Uh, you know, Nick, maybe we should put this on Twitter. Is it bad for golf balls if they're stored in a cold place? Right? Um, you know, I think, I don't think it's bad if they're stored in a cold place. I just think they have to be like room temperature when you hit them. Uh, the analogy I'm making is softball. I was on a slow pitch softball team and the season started in like April or March and it was very cold where I was living. And so like the bats would always dent in the early part of the season because the balls were too cold. It was like hitting ice chunks. And if they were below a certain temperature, the, the, the balls would take with dense bats. We, we could just ask Smooth, too. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> that might make go farther. This has nothing to do with Tiger Woods no. Club, so let's, let's keep it on the rails here if, if it's at all still possible. <laughs> okay, well, I'll just wrap up and say thank you so much for listening. Get the book. It is just called Tiger Woods, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. I'm Lacey Evans. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time at The Turn. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800 3334 for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.